everyone. You're listening to Everybody's Story, and I'm your host, Emily Micus. I'm recording this episode from Ireland, where I currently live and have been living, but I'm moving back to Michigan in a few days. So for the next episode, I will be recording from Michigan. So I have a great interview with Madeline Stout today, but before we get into it, I just want to quickly remind you of the Buy Me a Coffee site. The site makes it easy for you to donate small or large amounts to me for podcast production. I'm not sponsored, I don't have any ads, so this is my only way of making money for the podcast at the moment. So if you can, take a second and pause the episode, head to buy me a coffee slash everybody's story, and donate the price of a coffee or two. All right, let's get into the episode. I want to welcome Madeline Stout to the podcast, and Madeline is a dancer and climber from Northeast Ohio. And you're going to hear a much more extensive bio the more we go on. Uh, So welcome, Madeline. Hi. (laughs) And we've never met in person, so um, it's nice to virtually be meeting you. Um, So we'll get into all all of your experiences, but I thought we'd just start out by talking about kind of your relationship with your body or your body image um, and what that's been like. You can talk about kind of walk us through a timeline from a kid until now or anything that kind of jumps out at you that you've learned or thought about or something you've changed even. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess as a kid, I was, you know, I don't really, I didn't really notice it as a kid much. Um, cause kids generally kind of stay just about the same. If So, and you know, I was a dancer, all little kids look the same at a certain point. Um, the first time I can really think of it dividing, uh, is when I was about 14. Because I, as a note, I have something called PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is actually, it's being debated still, but it is considered a form of being intersex because you have more testosterone, and that causes me to build muscle a little differently than normal women. Um, I, I definitely have more built muscle. I'm more solid muscle than, than you typically see with women. So that stuck, that started really sticking out when I was about 14. Mm. And also at that same time, I have a younger sister. My sister and I are very, very different physically because of that wonderful thing called genetics. Yeah. She looks like a Barbie doll. <laughs> she, she's, she's tiny and blonde. And we, that was at that point, that's when she started losing her baby weight. She's four years younger than me. So she was 10. So she started losing the baby fat in her cheeks and everything. And she started to look like a human, (laughs) Um, like a functional person. And all of a sudden, you know, we really divided in what we looked like for the first time. Um, And while we had always looked different just through the markers of hair and eye color, we suddenly really, really, really looked different which was something I wasn't used to. And all of a sudden people started comparing us in different ways. But the thing I remember most is I was at the doctor and they had weighed me before my appointment. And so the doctor came in and she had her little clipboard and she didn't even say hello or anything. She just said, we need to talk about your weight. And then she looked at me and she goes, oh, never mind." And it never came up again. What my mom theorized, because my mom was not happy with that either. She did not like that. Um, I, and what my mom theorized is that because muscle weight is different than body fat weight, she, she realized, oh, 
she remembered like my, my dancing and everything. I just have more muscle tone and that's what caused the weight difference. But of course at 14, that's not something I understood. So for the first time, all of a sudden I became paranoid about my weight because it had been brought up to me for the first time. Wow. After that, things started to get a little more dicey. I switched to dance studios around that time too, because my previous studio closed. And the new studio was a bit more serious, I guess, than my other one. Uh, I was placed in classes with more intense teachers. I actually, at this point, had to relearn Irish dance because I had been taught the wrong names for things. So I had to have kind of a, a booster class to learn the proper names, like hop one, two, threes and stuff like that. I, they were called promenade steps right. at my first studio. So I had, I had no idea what the teachers were talking about. So my sister and I and one of our friends that had come with us all had to go through these kind of redo classes, which, of course, set us apart. And as I got to classes and everything, I realized, hey, I look different than everybody else because a lot of these a lot of these girls in my in my new dance school were your typical dancer bodies yeah because they were doing this more intense form of dance than I have been doing and again I build muscle differently so like I've got really chunky legs my sister who does this who's done some of a lot of the same dance types I do has really streamlined muscle I don't have streamlined muscle like at all yeah so here I am, like this kind of big, strong, muscly girl, and with all these delicate little ballet dancers. It got worse when I joined a kick line, the kick line at my studio when I was 16. And that's all about uniformity, right? Uniformity, and we were all on the line. I have issues with my hamstrings. I can't stretch them out fully. They're abnormally short, so I can't do things like splits. Um, and my teacher knew about this, but she still put out a challenge that we all had to have flat down splits by Thanksgiving. She told us that on the first day of class. I went up to her and told her, you know, I literally can't do flat down splits. You've seen me do, like, try it, and I just really can't. She's like, okay, but we still didn't have a pizza party because not all of us had a flat down split. Right. So at that point, I actually stopped eating as much. Um, I do have issues with anxiety and depression. I stopped eating as much. I started to lose weight. I started losing stamina. But luckily, my troop director noticed, and she nipped that in the bud, like, as soon as she could. She was like, hey, what you're doing is bad. Um, and she, she was like, you need to stop, because this will hurt you. So luckily, that only lasted probably about eight months. Okay. So about one full dance year and, um, until someone noticed and called me out on it. So it could have gotten a lot worse. Can I ask, you were losing weight with, or sorry, you were not eating with the intention to lose, to lose weight? weight? That was specifically not because of stress or any other reason. Yeah. No, it, yeah, it was specifically to lose weight because, like, I knew I was exercising and in – at that point in my brain, like, I didn't know the intricacies of dieting to lose weight and stuff like that. And again, I was, at that point, I was about 17. 
So you're still growing at that point. Like you haven't, your body hasn't really settled out like what it wants to kind of look like. So of course it's a little different. And so my, my connection was, well, if you eat good and exercise, then you'll get better. But I am eating good. So clearly I'm just eating too much. Right. So I stopped eating some, like, I would take smaller portions at dinner. It started with little things. I stopped eating breakfast. Um, at lunch at school, I would only eat the main entree. I wouldn't eat anything else. Mm. And I, it, it took a little bit of time for it to really start going. But once it did, apparently it be, I don't really remember because of course it's, I saw it gradually. Yeah. But for my teachers who were seeing me once a week, that the, the difference was a lot more obvious. So it, luckily they noticed before I did, but I got called out on it the first time about three months in, and then the second time six months in, and it took another two months to cut it. Okay. But you went back pretty much after that to like eating normally. I went, yeah, I went back to eating pretty normally after that. And like, there's still some things that I do sometimes, like I if I'm, if I do stress out, I won't eat. Um, but most of my friends have picked up on that. My coworker is one of my close friends. So she'll, she'll call me out on that and she'll make sure that I eat because that's just a, it's a partial habit that I haven't really been able to kick. Yeah. So it's, it's still a problem at times, but again, it's not nearly as bad as when I was 17 and terrified about what it looked like in comparison to these other girls that I had to be in straight lines with at all times. Right. Okay. So you sort of got through that. And then, so then what was college like? Cause that's always a big adjustment. College was pretty great. Honestly, I, that's when I dropped down to just doing Irish dance before I did things like kick line and jazz and modern. And I'd done ballet for a time actually as well. Um, but I, I dropped down to just Irish. Okay. Well, that's nice to hear that. Like, just because a lot of people on the podcast and just in life have a pretty college can be a great time, but it also can be a really hard time. Cause it's like really, really adjusting. And there's this whole thing about like the freshman 15 and like, Oh, like you're going to gain weight and like this fear and kind of weirdness around that. So, so you didn't experience like changes in your eating or. I gained a little bit of weight, but not a ton. It was, it was in college. I was actually diagnosed with PCOS because PCOS causes a uh, cause it causes weight fluctuations like within the extremes so I would go in and I would lose like 10 pounds and then I'd gain 15 and then I'd lose five pounds and I'd gain two and it would just it would really fluctuate so I would look different from month to month it really PCOS tends to ramp up when you reach about 21 okay so like that possibly may have been affecting um affecting me is as a teenager but once I reached my 20s it in in the small amount of 20s that I've had so far that's when things really kind of got serious and so I did get treatment for that so now it's it's calmed down a lot so I'm more consistent when it comes to that now which is nice because I was going to ask about like the weight fluctuations that could potentially like bother someone or oh yeah it really bothered me when I got bad, but I, 
luckily I got a new doctor from the doctor I'd had previously. And straight away, she was like, there's something wrong and we're going to figure out what it is because what's happening isn't right. This shouldn't be going on. Right. And so what is your, I suppose now, what is your relationship with food like and or your body? Kind of how do you feel like you are right now? Uh, I'm trying to eat healthier because I'm at that age where my metabolism is starting to slow down into what's going to be as an adult. I'm not a growing kid anymore. So there's, there's that thing like I can't eat fast food every day. I can't like, I also just found out that I'm lactose intolerant. So that of course has changed the way I eat because I will get sick (laughs) if I eat certain things too much. Like as a kid, you can get pizza and then eat the leftovers for a few days. I can maybe eat like leftover pizza for one day, but if I eat it like a couple days in a row, I get sick, I blow it up, stuff like that. So it's, which is, and that isn't something that turned up until I again reached about 2021. So as my body has changed, as I've become more of an adult, I, I've gone through some very unusual changes, I guess, with food. I've been trying to eat more like salads and stuff, just healthy, healthy greens. I, it's, it's been strange kind of this at this point. So I've been trying to eat more healthily for about a year and a half. So like, I feel better than if I would eat junk food and everything. But at the same time, there's some days like where my anxiety gets really bad. I'm like, how many fries did I have this week? Like in the exact number of fries. Ah, so you, yeah, so you're still kind of counting and keeping track. I don't think I'll ever be able to kick the counting. Really? I don't, I really don't think I will. It's, it's just, that's just kind of who I am as a person. So... Yeah, I mentioned I have anxiety and depression issues. I have something called generalized anxiety disorder, where essentially I am at a base level of anxious all the time, constantly. I'm always aware, like hyper aware of everything all the time, constantly. So I think that counting just really falls into that and is fed by it. Right. So that's why I don't think, like I'm with... I've been in counseling for about 10 years. Um, I'm on medication for it, but we'll see. Maybe I'll grow out of it, but maybe I won't. Yeah. So how do you, like when you're, does it make you more anxious when you're thinking about, oh my God, how many of these did I eat? Or how many of these do you think should I have? Or does that grow the anxiety? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Like my family went out to dinner the other night, for example, and I got pasta and with meatballs on it and the meatballs were extra and so you could choose how many you wanted and she said do you want one two or three and I looked at my mom and I said how many do you think I should have wow and my and my mom caught that and she's like you should have as many meatballs as you want yeah. So I got three <laughs> um, so that I could have some for lunch later if I couldn't eat it all. Sure. But it's that, it's so that how, how much should I do? For sure. Like if, can I, can, I'm always nervous about having the wrong answer. Is, is three meatballs the wrong answer? Is, yeah. 
because I can't quite shake the idea of there are things that are right and there are things that are wrong. Yeah. And that's a universal thing. So like three meatballs is fine for me because I can split that over a couple of meals. Should I eat three meatballs in one meal? Probably not because I can't eat that much in general. My sister could probably put away three meatballs because she's a bottomless pit of a human. But yeah. Yeah. I think, I think first of all, this is something that like a lot of people struggle with is um, yeah. Kind of not obsessive, but thinking about food a lot and thinking about the shoulds, like listening to like outside, like you said, even asking your mom or thinking about outside influences rather than thinking about like, what does my body need or what does my body want? And like this yeah. whole intuitive eating, which is really hard to get to. Um, yeah, I think it's just really hard. And then thinking about like the good versus bad foods, that like food is just food. They're not good or bad. And I've been meaning to do a whole episode on this because I feel really passionately about it because I used to feel a very similar way to you of like, you know, this is good. Healthy equals good or, you know, unhealthy equals bad when really it's all balance. And like, if you, yeah, anyways, I, I don't have to go on and on about it, but just about listening to yourself is for me. And I think for a lot of people would probably be the goal, but it can be really hard to get out of that when you're just so used to being like, not being able to like trust yourself and be like, Oh, I don't want to take too much or too little or, you know? So, um, it's really, that's really tough. Um, but I, I have faith that you will like get out of that counting one day. That's my, you know, I think with I'm just trying persistence and work and like, um, catching yourself and like, you're obviously aware of it, which is like the first step for sure. And you're like, I'm doing this and maybe I don't want to be doing this. So like you'll get there, you know, but, um, so Okay, so that so you then graduated college. Well, just recently, then probably you just graduated. I graduated in April. Okay. I didn't have a graduation ceremony, obviously, because of uh, of coronavirus. But ah, yeah. Okay, so you mentioned before we were talking that you um, do rock climbing, or you're a climber. So I'd love to hear about when that started, how that started. Yeah, I do bouldering, so that's climbing without ropes on shorter walls. There's three different kinds of climbing. There's speed climbing. This is helpful if you're going, you know, going to watch the Olympics next year. There's speed climbing where they hook you up to a harness and you just climb a wall as fast as you possibly can. Then there's bouldering, which is what I do. That's where they, they put holds up on the wall in this creative pattern and you have to solve the problem. A, a boulder route is called a problem. So you have to solve the problem. And then there's lead climbing where it's a really, really long route, it can be a few stories high, and they hook you up to a rope and you climb as high as you can, preferably to the top, but you climb as high as you can. Right. So I haven't tried the other two. I'm not very fast, so speed climbing probably wouldn't be a good idea. But I started bouldering because my friend Jaguette, she is from California. She she was my same major and everything. We she lived with me last year um, as we were finishing up our senior year. And she is from Northern California. She works in the parks when she's not at school. And she grew up bouldering from the time she was about four. So there's not a ton in this area when it comes to bouldering. Mm. I happened to get a Facebook ad about this place that was having a ladies' night, and I showed it to Jaguette, and she was like, we got to go. 
So she dragged me along and I thought I would hate it because I'm afraid of heights, but I loved it. I really did. It was a completely different workout than I was used to. And at that point I was in physical therapy for an ankle injury. And I was just finishing that course of therapy and my therapist had actually recommended that I consider switching to a different sport because dancing was becoming a little too much. I'm sure we'll talk about that later, but she recommended I search for a different kind of sport that maybe involves more than just my legs. <laughs> right. And I found climbing, which was so different. It was the entire body, but it still relied on a lot of the stuff that I had learned from dance about like body awareness and balance. And it also had the other interesting thing of problem solving and puzzle, like, yeah, puzzle solving. Everything on the wall is a puzzle and it's your job to figure out how to solve it. And it was just so cool. So I started doing that. Uh, however, that came to a bit of a pause with coronavirus because obviously everything was locked down. Yeah. My gym reopened at the end of June. So I started going back by myself this time because my roommate had moved back to California and my sister hadn't picked up climbing quite yet. Now she does, but <laughs> she hadn't picked it up quite yet. Yeah. And so four weeks ago, as of today, I was at I was at my gym and I was trying to do this route that was just a little bit outside of my skill level. It was it was kind of difficult. It was very power based and I'm I don't have a ton of power yet. I'm still a little weak in, in my arms from 18 years of having my arms glued to my sides at all times. <laughs> but I, I was almost at the top of the route and I fell. I, it was an overhang climb, so I had been climbing a further distance than I was actually up off the ground. I fell probably between eight and 10 feet and I landed with my left arm behind me. And when I when I tried to move my arm, I heard clicking sounds and it was sore and I had limited range of motion and it was starting to bruise. So my parents came and they picked me up and took me to the ER. I was diagnosed with a hairline fracture in my left elbow. Mm. Then when I went to the doctor a week later for my orthopedic appointment, they x-rayed again because they didn't think the x-rays from the ER were very clear. And they said, actually, I did not have a fracture. All I had was severe tissue damage, severe soft tissue damage. So like, oh, it's not broken, but you do have severe tissue damage. So I've been in occupational therapy now for a few weeks, and I have to wear this very attractive compression sleeve. It actually is very cool looking. I look kind of like a robot. Yeah. Cyborg. Um, oh, that's such a, um, such a shame that's happened, like just as you were getting back into it, but. Okay, so let's go back to a happier time when you were rock climbing. And I want to hear about what you what you specifically you talk about problem solving and using your body in a new way, but like how do you feel when you're doing it and like we can get more into dance after as well cuz I I know for dance there's a lot of like comparing and stuff. Do you feel that same comparing or do you find that you're critical of yourself or you feel strong or how do you feel? See, the climbing community is very different from the dance community. Dance community I mean, you know, we, we can kind of get a little catty sometimes. I think it's part of the atmosphere that we're kind of placed in, unfortunately. Mm. Competitiveness often. Yeah, too, it's, it gets very competitive. Like even just performance, it gets competitive because, you know, there's still stuff like solos and everything. But in climbing, the mentality isn't 
climber A versus climber B. It's climber A and climber B versus the wall versus the boulder. Yeah. You're, what you're trying to do is beat the boulder. You're not trying to beat the other people. So like I'll go and I'll watch a climber struggle up. So by the way, real quick, there's a grading system for climbing. So the easiest climbs are V zeros and the hardest climbs are like V twelves. So, and so it ranges up in that sphere. So like I'll, I'll watch a climber just breeze just breeze through like a v8 and i'll go up on my little v1 and they'll be right there cheering me on and giving me advice and telling me i'm doing a good job just as because they recognize that you are trying and you're taking on this problem and you're trying to solve it within the best of your ability so it's it's an extremely positive atmosphere. Like if you fall off, they grumble with you. They're they're sad with you because you can't beat this. If they take down your project, if the root setters take down your project before you've solved it, and you come in, you go, "No, my project is gone." They're like, they're not like, "Oh, you should have solved it earlier." They're like, "Dude, I am so sorry." <laughs> They help you go through the grieving process over this problem that you weren't able to solve. Yeah, I could see that. I think, um, and we don't want to knock dance. Like both of us love dance. Yeah. But um, there's something about having a, a physical goal. I'm sure like you, it's either like you got to the top or you didn't. And there's something about like, it's like a math problem. I think of like, that's why a lot of people, sometimes I'm drawn to math as well. Um, because it's like, the answer is six or like, yeah, you know, it's a bit more black and white. Whereas with dance, it feels like you can always be a little bit better. And like, um, it's not as, you know, competitions and stuff can be quite subjective. Right. So it's, I wonder if that's part of the difference maybe. Yeah. Like with dance, there's always the feeling I could kick a little higher. I could dance a little longer. You know, with climbing, there comes a point where you physically can't go on (laughs) with dance. There's always the sense that you can continue to pull something out. Yeah. Um, Because like, oh, you can move, can't you? You can do something. But with climbing, it's like when you can't hold on to the hold anymore, it's time to go home. (laughs) Right. So there's definitely an end point. It just, it's extremely, you know, as someone with anxiety who requires routine and everything, it's extremely comforting to have a definite, like definite parameters in which this can be done. So I wish, I kind of wish I found it sooner, but I'm glad that I found it when I did. As yeah. I'm going through like major life transition, obviously, at least I have this. That's really cool. I think I've said in probably every podcast episode that I think there's a type of exercise for everyone or movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like if there isn't, that's fine too. But like, that's really, really cool that you could find that. And yeah, I know it's always like, oh, I wish I'd found it 10 years earlier, but like, yeah, great. Like, and it's something that's, you know, pretty much ever every major city should have like a climbing gym, you know, so you can do it anywhere. That's, that's really cool. I'm glad you found it. And I'm uh, hoping for your injury to heal soon. So me too. It's very frustrating. But like, at the same time, you're saying there's an, an exercise for anyone, like it can be multiple things. Like I still love dance. I'm going to dance on some level for the rest of my life. You know, if, if I'm lucky enough to have kids, you know, that's definitely something I would put them in because it dance helps teach you motor skills it teaches you um social skills it helps you 
to talk and interact with people that you wouldn't be able to interact with usually. It has its own benefits. But, you know, it's okay to reach out into different communities. Like, you can try new things. It's going to be fine. Yeah, not feel locked in. Like, I think that's happened to a lot of people. I know it's happened to me a bit. Like, you are the dancer. And that's where you are. And that's what people know you as, you know? So it can be really hard to branch out into other things. I feel that. Yeah, that's what I got for a long time. I was the dancer. I was the Irish kid. Yeah, Um, right. So it's nice now to have a different label. It it gives me a little more variety in my life. I love that. Um, Okay, so we could talk a bit more about, um, I kind of mentioned comparison. We kind of talked about it a little bit before the interview and stuff. Um, I'm wondering, like, when did you first notice comparing? Well, you mentioned in dance class quite early on. Yeah. And then did that stick with you through like apart from dance? Yeah. I I do it constantly. It's it's a problem. About bodies? Like it's a big problem. Or bodies specifically. Uh, I think part of it and note before I say this, I love my sister very much. (laughs) She's my best friend. I adore her. However, there's something special some special kind of feeling that comes when you go to a family event and you and your sibling come in together and someone goes oh sibling you look so good oh hi madeline how are you yeah it it's it's a special kind of kind of ouch so and it's not like it's something either of us can control. My sister has her own body image issues. Of course. She has her own problems. Like, she's actually, she's gender fluid. So some days, like today, I happen to have a sister. Some days I have a brother. Some days I have a sibling. Mm. Of course, with that comes body issues. Because, you know, when I have a brother, my brother doesn't necessarily want to have breasts today. That, it doesn't feel good. But my, my sister has a very large chest, and binding can hurt at that size, and it doesn't always work. And so there's my poor sibling sitting on the sofa, just kind of curling in on themselves because they're upset that they can't look the way they feel. Mm. So that's not to say that you know, my sister doesn't have her own struggles. But everybody has their own issues. Yeah. And I know one thing that upsets my sister sometimes is, like, when she goes swimming, she doesn't have a ton of body fat. She can't float. She can't float. So swimming is exhausting. She loves to swim. And so she's jealous of me because I go to the pool and I can just grab a pool noodle and hang out. Yeah. I'm fine. So she's like, the grass is always greener. You're so lucky. You can float. I always have to just swim around and then sleep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's the main thing because that started happening when we, again, when we were 14. When I was, I was 14, she was 10. And all of a sudden, oh, Lily, look at you. <laughs> and, and there I was. Um, and as I started dating, I, I didn't start dating really until I was 19. That's when I really ventured out into that for the first time. 
because I am a lesbian. So in my little area, it's very hard to find other other LGBT communities because this is a kind of rural area. It's conservative. And so people here are more likely to hide. Yeah. So, you know, that's when, that's about the age where you can start to use dating apps and stuff like that. And that's one thing, swiping through Tinder or everything. I'm looking at all these other girls. I'm just like, oh, she's so pretty. And look at me. I look like a potato. Ah, the whole, she feels like she's on your league, all that. Yeah. 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 Or like, I'd, I'd swipe on a girl and she'd match with me. I'd be like, why me? Yeah. You know, that, that sort of, that sort of deal isn't great. So it's just, and it's always the little things. It's always the little things. Yeah. But for me, comparison seems to always be with the body. I think part of that is because of dance too. Yeah. Because you'll be doing a move and like I do, a, I'd be doing my kicks for the kick line and the instructor would be like, oh, those are good. But maybe if you could do them a little higher, like so-and-so, all of a sudden I'm like, it's me versus so-and-so. Yeah. Stuff like that. And that's something that I think teachers should be better at and coaches and all these things. Like it's something as I'm starting to get back into teaching is I'm going to be very aware of that. Like never, never comparing people against another person. Like if you want to say, you know, you did, you did that differently last week. I've seen you do better. Compare them to them, you know, but like, I think that can be a really damaging environment to just, yeah, pitting people against each other. And we all get really hyper aware of our bodies and of other bodies. And it's, it's something I've only noticed after being out of competition for quite a while and out of like dance class for quite a while is finally, I'm like less like hyper aware of my body. And like, but still, I still check myself. Like, like we all do it probably like you, you know, you walk past a mirror and like you look at yourself, like it's pretty common, but it's like, what are those thoughts that you have when you're looking? Is it like, Oh, that's what I look like today. Or is it like, Oh my God, I hate this. I hate this. I hate this. And being so aware of it and hyper aware. Um, yeah. And I've also noticed, I don't know if you've noticed this, but when I compare myself and I look at other people, you notice the parts that you're most insecure about. So like if I'm insecure about A, B, and C, I look generally first at A, B, and C on that person, which is kind of like just so aware of these body parts. It's so like damaging, you know? Yeah. The one thing that catches me all the time is I my my lower belly bumps out mm. uh, because most most people's uteruses tilt inwards. Mine tilts outwards for some reason. Not quite sure why, but it does. So it creates this little bump. So I look at other people and I'm like, oh, look at you with your flat stomach. And I, as, as I always look like I've had a little bit to eat and I don't like that very much. You know, that's not something I can control. That's not something I can change. That's something I have to get used to, but it's yeah, and you shouldn't have to. You shouldn't have to feel like you do. But so, is there anything that's helped you to start to get out of the comparing, or do you still feel like you'd still struggle with it quite a bit? Then I still struggle with it a lot. It's not something. I guess I always thought that oh, everybody does it, so it's kind of fine. Mm. Until recently when I mentioned it to my therapist and she was like, okay, hold on a second. This is something we need to talk about. And I was like, why? Oh, right. <laughs> kind of that moment of realization where 
so we're we're we're, that's something we're going to start working on but yeah that's that's definitely an issue i need to tackle especially because my my issue isn't that i'm shy about my body you know i've been in dance for too long in just like a little leotard and tights to to be shy about my body but i am ashamed of my body and specific parts of my body and that is something i need to tackle like i don't care if you see it but i'm worried about what you think of it when you see it that sort of thing if that makes sense yeah it it does make sense um yeah and shame is super powerful and like deep and um can be really damaging as well so yeah i mean yeah i'm not trying to say like oh like you have all these problems because like a lot of people you know deal with this and that like if there's like one theme that's come up in the podcast it's been like comparing and everyone does it so that's what i'm thinking is like it's it's so human to do that but it's like how do we like i was saying like change the little like pathways in your brain to be like i compare myself but it doesn't always have to be like a negative comparison it'd be like oh her legs are longer than mine. End of story. You know, like, how, how do we get to that point? Like, wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't really have all the answers, um, but I think it's great. Like, it's great that you're in therapy and all these things are coming up. And, um, yeah, I think everyone can be in therapy at some point in their life and should be. So, oh, yeah, I feel pretty. It's, it's really helpful. Yeah. Um, so what else? Oh, I was going to ask about social media. I don't know how active you are in social media. I kind of been. I've cut out Twitter recently okay. because to like, don't get me wrong. I know the importance of politics, but Twitter is where a lot of the more graphic aspects of politics are shared. And so Twitter is where you see the graphic videos and everything. And just as a person, that's not something I can do with and be okay. Yeah. So, sure. And like, also if that stuff messes you, you don't have to watch the videos. You don't have to. No one's making you watch them. No one's checking to make sure you watch these videos. It's okay to kind of pull back. Absolutely. So I've only like briefly popped onto Twitter for like a month and it's been great, but I'm, I'm very social media active, honestly. Like I've, I've got Instagram and Facebook purely for the reason of keeping track of my relatives. Um, but so now, cause I just did an episode on social media and bodies and I'm wondering yeah, how you feel about when you post pictures or you look back on pictures of yourself? Do you get self-conscious with that? Or do you feel, what are your feelings about social media in that way? Yeah, I, I mean, when I sent you that, the picture um, you use for this episode, I, I think I told you in the email, I don't have a lot of pictures of myself. That picture specifically is from, uh, it's from October of twenty. Of October of 2018. And is that intentional? You don't take a lot of pictures. Yeah. I don't, I don't take selfies really. I don't take pictures of myself. I don't ask to have pictures taken of myself. Usually if there's a picture taken of me, it's by my mother or by my sister because my sister is an amateur photographer. And so she'll sometimes use me as a model, like for studies and stuff like that. Um, or she'll use me as a drawing model because she's, um, she's going to art school and she needs those things. Right. So if, if pictures are taken of me, they're usually for some kind of function because 
I, I have asked to have my picture taken in the past year uh, exactly twice. Can I ask why that is? It just makes me really uncomfortable for reasons I can't quite picture. Like, I, I feel embarrassed asking people to take pictures of me. Okay. I don't, I find it, I guess I think it's kind of cringy. Like, I love it when I see pictures of other people. It's like, the whole, like, Instagram boyfriend, Instagram girlfriend thing I think is really cute. Stuff like that. So if other people get pictures taken of them, I think it's awesome. But I just don't like having pictures taken of me. Is it coming from a place of insecurity or self-consciousness or? I think so, because if, because part of it is like, I feel like if someone's taking a picture of me, I can't control what they're taking the picture of or how they frame it. Sure. I, if I'm taking a picture of myself, that's different. Like the picture I sent you is a, it's a mirror selfie. I took that myself. Yeah. Um. So I was actually, I went on a study abroad this winter. It was a two-week study abroad just after Christmas. And on that trip, I had two pictures taken of myself that I asked for and a couple pictures that I didn't, <laughs> um, courtesy of my roommate who, who went on the trip with me. And so that, so the, yeah, the, both the pictures I asked to have taken of myself in the past year were on that two-week trip. Right. So. Okay. That says a lot, I think. Yeah. And it's, and every time I asked, it was someone I knew. So. Right. More trust there. Yeah. Like my mom, she'll like ask random people, hey, can you take a picture of me and my, my girls? And I, I could never do that. I'd be like, nope. No, if, if there's no one around to take a picture of me, there's going to be no pictures. Yeah. Well, that's fair enough. Like teach them. Yeah. I just, yeah, I don't like having pictures taken of me. If I post pictures on social media, they're usually of things. Or like, I'll post pictures of my dog on on social media. Yeah. See, I think that can be really nice, too. I mean, I was talking about that in the last episode. Is like, because we can become quite, like, body-obsessed, especially, like, if you're following all these, you know, influencers who, whether it's like fit, fitness and fitspo and all that stuff, like it can get too much where even if it's body positive, it can become like obsessed and thinking and looking at bodies. So it was like an easy way to do that is like start following like people who post dogs or nature or travel, you know, like it, like are, we're not just our bodies. There's so much more to life. So, um, I think like, that's cool. Like if that's what like makes you happy to look at your social media feed is like your dog, I'm like all for that. So. And I've been, I've been trying to pick out some things that I'm more comfortable posting with myself. Like I got my hair cut a, a little while ago. Um, actually just before that, I took that photo that I sent you, I had gotten my hair cut, taken about 12 inches off, um, for the first time, which is the shortest it had ever been. So, wow. and it turned out to be curly, which was a surprise. So it's little stuff like that where like, I like the way my hair looks. I think my hair looks nice. I think my hair is pretty. I, I like, I have very large eyes. I like my eyes. So those, I'm trying to pick out things that I like taking pictures of and I, I like sharing um, to kind of be more comfortable with me. I think that's great. And I think like baby steps, like if you're like, I like this and this and like, you know, you're, you're yeah. on the path to like maybe liking. Feeling better. Eventually, yeah. 
or or on Tumblr where they do those tag games where like people tag you and things. I got one recently, like name five things that you like about yourself. And that that stuff, it can be hard. But at the same time, when you pick it out, you feel like, I do like that. That does make me happy. Yeah. And it doesn't have to just be physical stuff. It can be like, I like my laugh. Yeah. I have this deep belly laugh, but this kind of cackle. Love it. And I really like it. Um, I, I'm smart. I like that. I, I can know a lot of things and random facts and it's funny to, to tell those facts, stuff like that. It, as it, it's just the little things that you don't really expect that help you to love yourself just a little bit more. For sure. That's a good lesson for anyone, anyone listening. Um, yeah, really. Yeah. I love that. Um, good old Tumblr. <laughs> I'm, I'm hanging out there. They have to, if they want me out of there, they have to delete me themselves. <laughs> That's funny. Um, well, this interview actually like flew by. Um, I'm wondering if there's anything you want to sort of say that we didn't cover or anything to kind of leave the audience with. We were going to talk about chronic pain a little bit, I think. Um, because we got distracted at the injury portion of the program. Yeah, but I have chronic pain in my legs. I have a, that comes from Irish Jane, I think for 15 or 18 years. Um, 15 of those like very seriously. I, I had a few sprained ankles that didn't quite get taken care of properly. I had a partial dislocation of a hip. I have chronic shin splints. Um, those things build up over time and can become reoccurring issues. And that's what happened to me. If you don't take care of something, if you let it build up, then there will be problems. So yeah, know this. Always seek medical care if you think that something's wrong. Because you know your body best, and it probably is. Yeah. So I didn't do that the, the first couple. The first two times I sprained my ankle, I did not seek medical attention at all. I was like, oh, this will be fine. And continued to dance on it, even though it was swollen double which is not something you should do, pro tip. And so when I finally went to my physical therapist, she's like, yo, like we have problems. (laughs) I don't have arches in my feet. Both my arches collapsed. So that's, I, you know, you have to be careful about, I have to be careful about shoes. I have to be careful about activity. On days like today, it's really humid today um, in Ohio, in this area. So my joints are swollen today. So. I'm very sore. I, my range of motion is kind of limited. I'm, I've, during this interview, I've kind of subtly changed how I'm sitting about six times because I can't sit in one position for very long. I can't sit cross-legged at all, which my cat doesn't like very much because it means no lap. (laughs) But it's, it's strange. And you have to figure out the balance of how much you can move versus how much you can't. And under what circumstances, like there's some days where there's certain, and you, you learn very quickly what certain aches mean. So like I have, there's one ache that means, oh, I just have to walk this off. But then there's another ache that means I have to sit down and you learn, it makes gate like kind of coming up with a number for pain and stuff much harder because you're, you become used to a certain level of pain that's there all the time. So like dealing with my elbow, you know, every time I go in to my therapist, she asks me what my pain level is today. 
And so I have to, I've learned to kind of dial it out. So all of a sudden I have to like dial in and it can become overwhelming. Yeah. So there's a level of knowing your limits and you just have to be careful because that the line between dealing with your pain in a good way and overwhelming yourself one way or another is very thin. Yeah. Because yeah, not doing anything lets you just kind of swim in the pain. And but doing too much makes it worse. Right. It seems like all of these things are coming down to well, first of all, you're like quite in tune with your body, which is great. It seems like um but you, it sounds like you kind of have to be because like this is all about listening to your body and trusting your body. Like that's what it sounds like to me because you're like you know, dance on the sprained ankle, like deep down, I mean, I've done that before. Deep down, you're like, I know I shouldn't be doing this, but you're not really listening to your body. You're listening to like, I don't know, your teacher saying push through it or your mind telling you to push through it. And um, we've all been there, but I think that's like a super important lesson is like the same with the food, like what we're talking about, like listening to your body and like trusting it as well and being like, my body knows what what I need. So I'm going to actually listen to it. And um, yeah, I can't imagine like living with chronic pain, like that sounds um, obviously painful and quite debilitating maybe at times. And, um, but. And with what you said about, you know, trusting your body and everything that that's a lesson I've had to learn with climbing. Um, so, cause you know, there's times when you're eight feet off the ground and there's nothing there, but you and some chalk and the holds that you're holding onto. And your goal seems just a little too far. And at that point you have to kind of do an evaluation. Like, do I trust where my feet are? Do I trust where my hands are? Because one of those has to go and the others have to pick up the slack as you move to the next spot. So especially trusting my feet has been a big problem um, for me. Cause trusting my hands, like I can see my hands. I know where my hands are. I know what they feel. My feet, because of like all the nerve damage and all of the injuries and everything, it's harder for me intellectually to trust them, which is part of the reason why I haven't been able to advance as much as I like in climbing because I am a very nervous climber. I will dither on the wall, which saps your energy, saps your stamina. Um, and so I'll be hanging up there I'll, and I, I know I need to step on this hold but it's to the right and my left leg is, I mean, both my legs aren't great, but my left leg is the worst leg. So I, which means that for that few seconds, it would take for me to lift up my foot and move it over to the new hold and put the weight on it. It means my left foot would be all by itself. And it's hard to get over that bump of, trusting that it's going to be fine and let me tell you I have not come across a spot in the months that I've been climbing that my feet have let me down yet that's lovely that's a that's a really nice place to stop I like that line (laughs) feet haven't let me down yet that's really nice um 
thank you for sharing everything with me, especially as, you know, it was quite personal. The, the interviews always get personal. So thanks for telling me all that. Um, thanks for letting me share. Yeah, it was really good to hear. Um, and you're actually inspiring me to like maybe I've gone rock climbing a few times, but I think I'd like to maybe. It's fun. Yeah, I always feel like it's oh, I don't have upper body strength, but like I know a lot of it in the legs too. So I could give it a go. Hey, I've got like nothing. I've got nothing. You'll be fine. <laughs> That's good. Cool. Um, Okay, so I've been ending with these uh, like quick questions. I call them first thing questions. So just first thing that pops to mind. Um, dogs or cats? Cats. Sweet or savory? Sweet. Vanilla or chocolate? Chocolate. Uh, summer or winter? Summer. And cake or pie? Cake. Nice. Okay, and then these are um, a little bit deeper. Not really, but uh, your favorite holiday? Thanksgiving. Mm. Uh, if you could travel anywhere tomorrow, where would you go? Ireland. Uh, um, last thing to ask everyone, what is the best thing or your favorite thing that your body allows you to do? I think given what I've been through, I think my favorite thing that my body lets me do is run around with my dog. Aw, I like <laughs> that. Simple. Yeah. Yeah. She's a puppy. She needs run. To, she needs ran around. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, okay. So that's all I have for you. So if you want to tell the audience um, where they can find you, if they want to follow, I know you have a few different areas where people can find you. Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram at Maddie Stout. Uh, I'm sure you'll see the spelling of my name. It's M-A-D-D-I-E-S-T-A-U-D-T. Uh, I can be found on tumblr at renasan28 and i also have a podcast that's out it's it was my my senior project to graduate college and that's called dowsaser um d-a-m-h-s-a space s-a-o-r and that's on the history of irish dance and its social and political implications and that can be found pretty much wherever you get your podcasts so it's four episodes of some rollicking good times <laughs> about Time Out Irish Dance. Lovely. And I have, yeah, I have a fun time on that. Cool. Good stuff. Um, yeah, well, that's all I have. And um, thank you so much again for being here and sharing your story. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. All right. Thanks again for listening, everyone. And thank you to Madeline for sharing her story. Remember, we're at buymeacoffee slash everybody's story if you're enjoying the podcast and want to contribute something. And find us on Instagram at everybody's podcast. As always, please follow, rate, review, and share the podcast with a friend if you can. And if no one has told you yet today, you and your body are lovely and wonderful and enough just the way they are right now. Okay, see you next week. <laughs>